Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 243, recorded July 30th, 2016. So what we're doing today is a little bit of DS9, the only DS9 series that uh, IDW's ever done. Yeah, good. It's been a little while. Get yeah. back to those characters. We got to see him a little bit in the ongoing here, uh, not too terribly long ago, when Q brought uh, over the Chris Pine version of Kirk. But uh, this this story is actual DS9 in in the same continuity. Right. This isn't post series. This is like during series. So we've got Cisco and stuff. Right. So I would say this is probably what season three ish. So it's. After they got the Defiant, but before Worf joins the cast. Right. Yep. No Worf in this one. Right. So it's that that one season. So it's good stuff. I liked it. Um, yeah. It's not bad. It's a little mystery going on. Yes. And I kind of like that bit of the beginning of it. Right. Trying to figure out, because they paint a story and they're saying what's going on at the station. It's like, what the heck is going on? And then when it finally dawned on me what was going on, I hit myself in the head because it says, look at the title. Okay, fine. I should have realized it sooner. Right, so the title is Fool's Gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know why. I guess this one didn't sell very well, so IDW has never gone back to the well as far as doing DS9. And uh, I think there was a Voyager miniseries they were going to do, but they they canceled it. Um, maybe because of the sales of this one, I don't know. Hmm. That's too bad. But, uh, I'd like yeah, to see it's a too bad. One. I would love to see a Voyager one, yeah. an Enterprise one. Yeah. You know, all we've seen is it's funny because when IDW first started, they were so good at going back and doing random things. They did an Assignment Earth miniseries. They right. did, you know, um, Captain Calhoun and things like this that are much less popular than Enterprise and Voyager. Right. Yeah, to those, they just never went back and did. Hmm. Sad. Did, did CBS or Paramount, whoever, want more money for these other uh, franchises? Yeah, I read I somewhere know. that it was a likeness. Uh, they had, there was some something to do with doing the character likenesses or something like that, that they were working Legally? on getting all that. Yeah, oh, getting the so rights to were, do? Right. Right. Which which I don't think, I'm I'm no lawyer or anything, but... From what I've read, it sounds like when you get hitched onto one of these franchises, you know, the, the actor gives up the likeness of their sure. character. Yeah. So, you know, Lucasfilm or CBS, they should be able to do anything they want to with your face as long as, right. you know, you don't really have a say-so anymore. So I don't know if the contracts were different for Voyager and Enterprise, but uh, right. for whatever reason, we've never gotten to see those. Right. Well, also, IDW, I mean, there's a financial thing going on here between IDW and the studios, too. I sure. Mean, so maybe they pay, maybe they would have had to pay more if they got uh, Voyager and Enterprise and things like that. And maybe they just wanted to see how things went at first. Right. And they never ventured down that other road that might cost more money. I don't yeah. know. Possibly. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. 
just wish wish they would do it. I mean, that's the that's the fiftieth anniversary I wanted to see. Uh-huh. Do something that combined all the crews. Oh my god, that would be unwieldy. It'd be nice though, right? It'd be cool. It's just oh, give a hard enough time trying to give the main characters from the different franchises something useful to do, right? Wow, that would be something. Well, they could have done like they did, like Pocket Books did a good job a couple of times where they, you know, ha- had novels that, you know, were... Brought them all were, together? Didn't bring them all together, but they had to fight, you know, there was a similar threat that went through all the stories, right? Oh. So there was like an invasion fleet from another part of the galaxy that uh, Captain Sulu and Captain Kirk had to take care of, and then they came back 100 years later or whatever and fought oh, card, and then right. they made their way to the... Delta Quadrant, they had to fight Janeway, you know, so it all kind of tied okay. in together, and it was really cool, so they could okay. do something like that. That would make sense. That'd be easier, because they're separate stories. You don't have to have all of those lead characters simultaneously in one story, you know, have enough significant things to do. Right. Okay. Shall we start? Yeah, let's see how this one goes, okay. before we start planning out their next ones. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, so Fool's Gold number one, published date December 2009, writer Scott David Tipton, art by Fabio Mantovani, colors by Fabio Mantovani, and David Amici, a lot of Italians involved in here, letterer Neil Yataki, editor Scott Dunbuyer. Cover A presents Cisco's head and left shoulder, taking up most of the left side of the cover. Deep Space Nine is at the top. Odo and Kira and other main characters are on the right side of the cover. Covers by the Sharp Brothers. Cover B is dominated by Sisko's head and shoulders with a red silhouette of DS9 behind him and to the left. Large text tells us it's a Star Trek Deep Space Nine issue. The IDW light bulb logo is to the left of the title text. Covers by Giovanni Nero. The retailer incentive cover is the same as cover B, except there is no text or IDW logo. And, of course, that's by the same guy, Giovanni. Two scurvy-looking space dogs visit DS9 in what appears to be a small trader ship. The older of the two knows about the station, and the younger humanoid is ignorant of it and unimpressed. The older scallywag's explanation of the station and its history to the younger miscreant gives the reader an introduction or a reminder of the station to people who uh, inhabit it. So they they go over all the different characters and that kind of stuff. The always wary Odo confiscates the scruffy one's primary weapons, but they both have backups they carry concealed. Younger smuggler is justifiably taken by the vision of a curvy loveliness that is Major Kira Norris as she is trying to get Chief Engineer Miles O'Brien to fix Docking Pylon 3. The two finally make their way to Quark's, where they meet with the man they came to see, Quark himself. Meanwhile, in Captain Sisko's office, Judzia Dax enters. They discuss how quiet the station seems. Sisko expected another incursion after that shapeshifter made his way onto Defiant recently. Major Kira joins them and reports on a 35% increase in visitors to the station in the past 72 hours. Her concerns are made worse by the fact that, so far, they aren't leaving. 
Despite his concerns with shapeshifter incursions, Cisco just chalks the increased traffic up to being good for business. The increased traffic will mean more business for Quark that will keep him happy and out of Cisco's office. It's all good. Dismissed, Major. Meanwhile at Quark's, the proprietor is beaming with glee. His place is packed and profits are way up. Odo enters trying to find out what Quark might know about the increased traffic. Quark calls police harassment and tells Odo nothing. Odo leaves and patrols the promenade. After seeing too many suspicious people about, he calls the Major and asks to see her in his office. Kira and Odo trade their suspicions and agree that something is up and that Quark is behind it or knows something about it. As Odo is showing the Major a closet full of weapons he has confiscated from the new arrivals, O'Brien enters holding a metal panel that has been hulked off of a wall and actually ripped. Something tore it apart. Damage like that exists in multiple parts of the ship. Someone or someones are literally ripping the ship apart from the inside. A report comes in from the promenade. Odo's security people are reacting to a fight that just broke out in Quark's and has spilled into the promenade. Through angry, gritted teeth, Odo growls, I knew it, and takes off for Quark's, with Kira and O'Brien fast following him. When they arrive, they see a massive brawl. Odo attempts to disperse them when he sees the younger smuggler pointing a pen-shaped weapon at another combatant. Odo disarms him, but not before the weapon is activated and shoots a red beam straight up. As the smuggler is being taken to the pokey, Nog screams from the upper level, saying, They shot Jake! When Kira and O'Brien arrive, they see Jake on the ground with a burn to his chest. Later in the infirmary, Sisko is at Jake's side. Dr. Bashir reports the injury looks worse than it is. The weapon was just a low-yield incinerator device. It gave Jake a nasty burn, but it's nothing life-threatening. Sisko says it was the handiwork of some of the visitors the Major was concerned about. He apologizes to her for not taking the warning more seriously, then turns very angry, saying they are going to find out what the hell is going on here. To be continued. And he is angry. Well, Odo gets a point when they draw him really angry, and Cisco gets a point in time when he is drawn really angry. Like, just, just, just like very over-the-top emotionalism is being depicted in the art. Right. They have their 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 faces are so scrunched up with with pure rage that I had to do a double take because I was like, are those supposed to be ridges? Are they Klingons, Bajorans? You know, because it's almost like they have ridges on their forehead and face that. Uh, yeah, they're so crinkled with anger. Yeah, so uh, had to do a little double take there. Right. But yeah, what'd you think of this first issue? Well, um, it's fine. It's setting things up. There's a mystery here, and I I'm fine with it. Although, you know, it's just set up. You know, we haven't got any payoff yet. Right. Uh, poor Jake. Yeah, poor Jake. Yeah. Of course, that is something that'll definitely get Cisco's attention on things. Well, they shoot his son. Right. So what did you think of the artwork? I thought the artwork was good, but I got to say, uh, the most distracting bit about the artwork is how this Italian is drawing Major Kira. 
Yes, that is a skin-tight outfit. It looks like it's painted on. Right. And She's not Seven of Nine, come on. She's not Seven of Nine, but they're drawing her like she's Seven of Nine. I mean, okay. she is voluptuous. Yep. And some of the poses she's in, uh, in this and the next issues, it's like, Ah, she's she's posing in a very provocative way. Right. It got me. It got me to thinking that uh, her outfit is very skin tight. Even though I never saw her as being the you know the sexy character in no, the show. Never. No. But and I don't know if it's just because the you know these have different camera angles or whatever that we're kind of looking up and you know we're seeing more of her curves than than the actress uh, was a Nina Visitor. Right. Actually had, but. Uh, but, I mean, as far as just being, is that the right outfit? Yes, that is what she wore, and I'm sure it was skin-tight on the actress, but well, I just never noticed it. Well, it wasn't that skin-tight. Wasn't it? I mean... I didn't go back and look, but... I mean, <laughs> her butt cheeks are phenomenal in the next... <laughs> in the next issue, there's a shot that features her butt cheeks, and they are great. So, there was I, one I don't... Too. In this one, too? I don't yeah. doubt it. Um... Let's just say it's different. Y- it, yes, y- yes, it, it, it was not baggy. It was not a baggy outfit in the TV show, but not like this. Right. And I do like how you worded it. It was distracting because it, it, when I was reading it, I was also distracted. Just like, that's not what she looked like, but I couldn't quite put my finger on what was wrong with it. I mean, aside from it being, you know, you know, like all comic books, you know, they often look like idolized versions of the actors, right? With sure. Physiques. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I just, I don't want to have to stop my reading to, you know, look at those butt cheeks and go like, hmm, what's different? You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, yeah, okay. But, uh, but yeah, aside from that, I thought that, uh, for the most part, you know, it's a, it's a little cartoony style. So a lot of the faces is over-exaggerated, especially with like the Ferenkis and things like that, but. I never questioned who anybody was, you know, like sometimes, sometimes with uh, the different art styles, we have to like guess on who somebody is, especially with some of the old DC stuff. But, uh, this, this, I thought everybody looked like the right actors. Yeah. Even though their physiques might be a little different. You still knew who they were. Right. Right. Um, And the ships I thought looked fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. That smuggler ship again. Didn't that have like a ring on it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of like those, uh, a little kind of sort of like those Orion ships that they use in that recent ongoing, recent ongoing issues. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's weird because this uh, this ring thing moves. So at one point it's in front of the the command section, and then when it's docking, it kind of moves so that it's uh, at a ninety way. angle of right. the command section. So yep. that was kind of interesting. Just yeah. like a, a different style. Yeah. But uh, but Deep Space Nine, I thought, looked really, really nice, really detailed. Yeah, a lot of good detail. Yeah, so at this point, I was really wondering what was tearing the bikes apart. I mean, looking at that, at that panel O'Brien was holding, not only was it messed up and kind of bent up like, like Hulk was playing with it or something, <laughs> but it seemed like it almost had, like, acid, acid ragged band. holes in it. Yeah, and it's like, what the heck's that from? So, 
Right. But, you know, maybe that's from a laser or something, like a cutting kind of thing. Who knows? I just didn't quite know. It's, you know, what, why are people doing this? I mean, why are they all there? At this point, I did not know. I really had no clue. And I should have. It took me the, the second issue before, before it finally dawned on me. Why do you think you should have? Well, because it's like all these people are coming to the station and they're all scruffy people. Like, mm-hmm. like people that probably would be, have no problem be involved with criminal activity. Wh- why would they come to the station? And why would there be all this damage around? I mean, it finally occurred to me that, oh, they're looking for buried treasure. Oh, that's okay for me to say that, right? Yeah. Okay. Sure, I, kinda, I, guess. I, I guess I kind of ruined it. But that's, <laughs> well, a- anyway, so that's right. what they're doing. And it, it when it occurred to me in the next issue, it it was not uh, it was not obvious to me. Right. I mean, I I, I thought it should have been more obvious. Sorry. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you. I, I didn't I didn't know what was going on until they told me, and then I mean I didn't slap myself in the head saying I should have figured this out already. Oh. I just thought, oh, that's kind of cool because that is the name, you know. So yeah. uh, I didn't chastise myself for oh, not getting oh, it earlier. <laughs> All right. Um, I have one other comment, and uh, it's more, and I don't know what page it's on, but uh, right after Odo and Quark have their little conversation and Odo's leaving the bar, oh. so um, there's a shot where he's walking out of the bar and we see Oryx is in the background. Just oh, down is the it Oryx or his or species? One of his species, right. probably. Yeah. Right. But we don't know. It's not him. We don't know that, but uh, is it okay for me to say that we see him in the fourth issue? Oh, well, that's that's just another one. Yeah, so I guess these writers just really like that guy. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> I didn't even I mean, think of I, I'd never seen them before. I, other than the cartoon... And then again, when they they brought him back in some of the uh, the DC issues, right? I wasn't expecting to see him again, but yep, cool that he yeah. pops up in this this uh, four parter. Right. I know that IDW probably around the time this was coming out um, was doing uh, Star Trek Year Four. There was too too many series of Star Trek Year Four, and it w- it was supposed to take place during the the fourth year of the mission, which is the same time frame as the cartoon and it did have arcs in there so oh, cool it's possible that this uh ra- this artist might might have done those and just wanted to bring over the character oh cool when we get around to those it'll be interesting to see if it's fabio or not right <laughs> i have one last comment sure considering how cisco was kind of suspiciously waiting another changeling incursion based on recent history you would think he'd be more suspicious when you know, the, the population of the station grew by one-third. <laughs> I mean, if you're worried about a potential changeling thing happening, uh, then wouldn't you be a little worried that maybe a bunch of changelings are coming on the ship and you, you don't even know it? But Cisco's like, oh, no, it's good for business. Yeah, what's your problem, Kira? Just thought that was Well, odd. I don't think he was too happy about it. Well, but... He, Wasn't he kind of saying it was the Bajorans that were wanting them all there? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he. Yeah, he's definitely he definitely talks about the fact that I did not I didn't go into this detail, but he definitely talks about the fact that the Bajoran what commercial group or something or 
Committee for the Advancement of Commercial the Interest tourism. or something. Yeah. Whatever. Um, that they were like, uh, they were fine with what was going on. Because that means they'll spend more money, uh, odds are, down at uh, Bayshore. But, right. Yeah. Well, and they were saying they get like uh, docking fees and all this other right. stuff. Which, right. Which yep. I was like, well, I yep. thought that aside from Cork, you don't ever hear about money. And Kirk made such a big deal that there was no money in the future. So. Exactly. Right. But then you got out. gold press lat, blah, blah, right. blah. And you got greed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess here on the fringe, things are a little different. Oh, maybe. Well, what was the deal with Harry Mudd and uh, the guy oh, yeah, that was selling right. tribbles? I mean, there. you know, on the one hand, money's obsolete. On the other hand, they talked about credits. I mean, that's, that's they, they paid credits to pay for the tribbles, right? Right. I don't know. Well, they paid him something. Yeah. Maybe a horror sung him a song for painting. <laughs> yeah, maybe that was it. Anyway, <laughs> so great that they talk about the idea that there's no money, but still, you know, they still it still creeps its way into the stories. Which makes sense because I don't yeah. see it going anywhere. Eh, yeah, I mean, it's got to be some way of uh, dealing with scarcity. I mean, there isn't limitless everything yet. So, in a in a non infinite resource situation, you got to have some way of figuring out, you know, how to distribute things. And money is a way we've used for a long time. Right. Right. Next one. Uh, yeah, I think we could do the next one. Cool. All right. So uh, I think they're just titled the same, right? They don't yep. have. Yeah, they don't have. They don't have subtitles for each issue. Right. Just number two, number one. Right, so this is Fool's Gold number two. Fool's Gold number two came out uh, came out January of 2010. All the writing staff is the same, with the exception of letters being by Robbie Robbins this time. Cover A shows Odo and Kira standing and being surrounded by an angry mob. Cover B shows a dark-haired Kira. It's very dark hair. Standing before the Bajoran logo. So it's kind of behind her. The story starts with Rom and Nog being very pleased with all the extra visitors that the station's having. And it's like Latinum is just falling from the sky. As they are talking about this, a Tellarite aboard a ship who is unable to get a landing permit almost crashes into the station in order to avoid uh, some congested traffic with some other ships flying around the station. Odo and Kira are trying to keep the peace aboard the station as more people are arriving for some unknown reasons. They both want to close the station down, but the Bajoran government thinks that the tourism boom will help their planet overall. Elsewhere, O'Brien is finding more panels pulled from the wall and other types of damage all over the station. Someone is looking for something, but he has no idea what it is. He does start seeing that some of the panels have an unknown language on the back. Elsewhere, Cisco visits Jake in the medical bay. Jake is fine, just a little burn from being shot in the last issue. Cisco vows to get to the end of all of this, and he returns to his office. Once he's there, he gets an update from Odo and some advice from Dax. Cisco then contacts Goldicott via subspace to see if perhaps he knows what this is all about. Of course, Dakot knows nothing, and only shares his concern for Cisco's plight. Meanwhile, Odo and Kira 
arrest the two humans from the last issue that were part of the accidental shooting of Jake. And they're playing the old classic, your partner's about to turn over you interrogation routine. So each one has one of them, and they're trying to get them to break. Odo is talking to the one that accidentally did shoot Jake, and Kira is talking to his partner. After a while, they eventually both give up and tell them everything. It seems that there's a rumor going around the galaxy about a hidden treasure map somewhere aboard the station that will show them the whereabouts of untold riches, which is somewhere on Bajor. To be continued. Hmm. The plot thickens. A treasure map. DS9 is a big treasure map. Wow. You didn't know that, did you? I did not know that. So... Yeah, I'm just wondering to myself, obviously now you, the question comes up, who's telling these boobs that? <laughs> uh, so these, these guys are trying to, you know, make a buck, probably not rich people at all, down on their luck, whatever, people that are probably criminals in, in some cases. Who's telling them this rumor? That's what I'm asking. Is it Quark? Does he have the resources to do something like that, start a rumor like that? I don't think so. Gull Ducat? More likely, I think, but who knows? Right. Yeah, well, we'll find out next issue who's the doing the telling, but where ultimately the story came from, uh, we won't find out until next week. Right. Okay, so it's during this story you figured it out, too, what was going on? Uh, well, when they said it was something about a treasure map, that's when I figured it out. Yeah. And when it said fool's gold, I'm like, oh, I bet it's all a trick. Must be Quark. Yeah. Because he, he's... He's always preying on the fools. Yeah, but he's basically, I mean, somebody, yeah, people that have come to the station and he can tell, he can spread a rumor at Quark's, fine, I dig that. But it's spreading all around the quadrant. Right. So it's like, how is he doing that? Right. But he's the only one profiting from it. So well, he's I definitely the one profiting. I still think that he was in on it at this point. <laughs> well, I'm sure he's definitely fine with fanning the flames. So he may not be the one that started it, but he's fine keeping it going. Right. He's probably selling them maps or, you know, at least <laughs> selling them, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, obviously selling drinks and stuff at Dabo Girls. But right. um, yeah, he's making money off it. He's definitely fanning the flames, I bet. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, so the way I saw it, I, I, I thought, you know, he must have had like a Harry Mudd type accomplice somewhere in the galaxy mm. spreading the rumor. Right, right, maybe. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, and, and because it's called Fool's Gold, I was really thinking that it was going to end up being just a big elaborate scheme. Yeah. There is no gold. Yeah, exactly. But who knows? Maybe there is. Never know. We'll have to see. I have to keep watching. Keep yeah. reading. Yeah, keep reading. So, damn! That Fabio really likes himself some Major Kira. Talking about the cover or somewhere in the book? No, I'm just talking about the book. It's like, <laughs> I, I'm, that's all I'm going to say. Because we already talked about for the last copy. But they just right. just keeps doing it. Yeah, so, is it yeah. so is it just like he's an oversexed guy because he's from Italy? Or Italy, Italian descent anyway? That's, uh, uh, that's or racist of you there, Kate. Watch it. That's a, it is a stereotype. I don't know if it's racist, but well, it's right. a stereotype that I'm indulging in. But I gotta say, or, or is it is it a conscious thing to 
you know, sell more issues or something. I mean, is it is it like, is this just the artist deciding, you know, I, I always kind of dug her. Let's see what we can do with her. Or is that like IDW saying, hey, could you make uh, somebody sexier in here? Kira? Okay, fine. Do her. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they drew um, Dax the same way because she's wearing black and maybe it's just not as noticeable. I don't think so. I don't think they're... I, I did not notice Dax looking all all hot sex. No, I didn't either. I mean, her, there's some nice scenes with her face. Because you know, uh, the actress, I forgot her name. But uh, Terry Farrell? There you go. Always had wonderful eyes. So there is a panel in here where they like play up her eyes and stuff. But I don't remember seeing her being drawn anything right. like Kira. No, no, I didn't either. Yeah. So uh, convenient that that Jake didn't get at least an eye poked out or anything. Just a, just a little tiny burn on the shoulder. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's just a little yield laser. What are you gonna do? So right. good that it was bad. My favorite part of this issue is the Goldicott stuff. I mean, just. I don't know what's going on. That's very strange. So you really think that, well, maybe he's in on it, too. You know, that uh, he's he's spreading this rumor around just to try to cause some confusion so that he can make a play for something. Yeah. So I thought that was very well done, you know, in, in line with the character, for sure. Definitely. Uh, very willing to you know, do the subterfuge. Right. I don't think Miles O'Brien looks very good. There's some pages where you see a fair amount of him where he's, you know, going through the conduits. He's got the flashlight going, all that kind of stuff. Right. And he doesn't, he looks fine, but he really doesn't look that much like Call Me. Yeah, I don't know why artists have a hard time with him. Because, you know, when we were doing all the Next Generation stuff and right. the uh, Malibu Deep Space Nine, right. he was always the one that we always had a comment on that they right. don't quite get right. So. I agree with you. There was a few times where it didn't look like him at all. Right. At least they didn't overdraw the size of his forehead, but it's still not <laughs> quite a hundred percent right. Right. Yeah, I don't know what, what. Why is he so hard to draw? I don't know. No. Is it the hair? Because it, it's so curly. I I don't know. You would think people have curly hair. I'm sure they've drawn curly hair before. <laughs> it's the face. <laughs> it's the face features. I don't know why. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I didn't really have a lot of comments on this one. Yeah, it I didn't either. Wrong, it, it moved things along nicely, but, you know, the story, the narrative, but... Right, yeah. No, it was a good issue, but, you know, it was just... We had the setup in the last one. This one just kind of gave them the big break with the whole, you know, the classic sitcom cop routine. Right. Uh, by trying to separate them, and your partner's over there telling yeah. you everything. Yeah, so, yeah. I've definitely seen that. that in far too many TV cop shows. Right. <laughs> But uh, and I'm I was never a big fan of that. And then it was kind of it was kind of cute that Cisco was obviously in on it because in both of them he came in and whispered something to the interrogator right. that really set the other one on edge and right. spilled beans. Yep. But aside from that little, uh, I mean, that was like what six pages of the book yeah. was the interrogation. Right. Kind of long. A little bit. Oh, actually, I do have a comment on artistry. Again, mm-hmm. how Fabio likes to draw people a little over the top with motion. When Cisco is speaking to Gull, the cot, it's really Cisco who, this is page 16, by the way, the electronic copy of the book. 
in the top left corner, Cisco looks relatively calm, speaking to Galdicott. Galdicott says something, and then Cisco looks like he's turned into a stinking demon from heck. <laughs> I mean, he really, I mean, it's like his nose is all crinkled up and everything. And it's like, oh, he is angry. Right, and his mouth's all open like he's the one talking, but he's not even saying anything. In no. The no, it's like he's just going, ah, I really don't <laughs> like you, Goldicott. Ah. And, the, and then the next one, he just looks like he's just said something really dumb. Maybe he realizes how ridiculous he looked a minute ago. <laughs> he's <laughs> holding his head, his eyes are closed. He's like, oh my God, I can't believe I made that face. And then the next time you show him at the bottom of the page, he's again back to... Uh, you know, angry, crazy guy. Very right. Yeah. It's like a Jekyll and Hyde kind of thing, almost. <laughs> well, Ducat came bring it out of him. Yeah, yeah. He got. Uh, he got. Just he knows where to poke him. Exactly. He knows how. He knows all of uh, Cisco's buttons, and he's very willing to press them. Right. That's funny. Number three. Yeah, let's do it. Excellent. So this one was published February 2010. Same writers, artists, and Neil Yataki's back to do lettering. Covers. Cover A presents Quark smiling broadly, counting a stack of gold-pressed latinum, with Rom sitting next to him, who is looking on with, with a little bit of concern. Otto and Cisco are standing behind them, looking on with surprise and suspicion. The cover is by the Sharp Brothers. Cover B, and then the retailer incentive cover is weird because at least in the book I've got, it's showing as pretty much blank pages. <laughs> it's a white blank cover. Cover B has the title and the IDW logo at the top. But other than that, it's blank white. And then the incentive cover is completely white. It, that makes no sense, does it? Well, it's so that you can take it to a convention and get someone well, to sign it. Okay, but... Or not sign it, to, to, but to draw, draw something cover. quickly. That you are the only one that's going to have that cover. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, when I go to the conventions and <laughs> I see people dropping off the the their clear their blank books to get some random artist to do the cover for them, I mean, I just it just boggles me that that uh, that that's a thing. You know, it, that, it, that, I mean, so where's the? I mean, is it going to be worth something? I guess if they get an artist that hasn't quite made it and then he makes it really big later, right? Say, oh, I had he did the cover of. You know, Spider-Man 326, you know, but I mean, is, are you going to be able to sell it? I mean, I don't know. Where's the resale value? Yeah. Plus, how many people who's buying comics, I mean, how many of them are in a position or the financial or otherwise to get to a place where the artists are? Uh, anyway, it, it just yeah, seems like it. The, all the conventions. So it's okay. not the artist of the book. They just go to any artist at the conventions and, and drop it off and pick it up at the end of the day and they and the artist has driven a drawn a, a sketch or something oh okay well i guess that makes more sense but still if it isn't if it wasn't an artist that had something to do with the production of the book i don't see how that makes as much sense but okay yeah, right well right, whatever. I, when i when i was at the last one uh, i was at a booth of uh, a guy who does the spongebob comics for uh -huh. um, i don't remember who does the spongebob comics not idw but one of those yeah um and some guy dropped off. Uh, it wasn't a SpongeBob book. It was just another superhero, you know, comic with the clear, clear page. And and he kind of told him what he wanted. And the guy was like, "Oh yeah, sure, I can draw that." But 
I was like, oh, I guess you can just go to anybody and they'll do it. So you give them 50 bucks or something or they just do it for free or what? No, they, they charge them. They tell them how much it would be and, uh, I, and I didn't hear what the price was. Huh. Interesting. Okay, but I think, there you go. I think you can get – and then I've seen like when you go up there, you can see some booths actually selling ones they've already worked on that look really nice with, with color and everything. But I think if you just go up to them and give them a book, they, they just do a sketch on it, not a, not a full-blown – coloring and inking no, and everything no, but too. That's fine. Pencil art or whatever. That'd be that'd be great. Sure. Mm-hmm. So the blank cover was still by Giovanni Nero. <laughs> okay, great job, Giovanni. Treasure map. A very angry Captain Cisco is not reacting well to the news that someone convinced half the quadrant the station will tell them how to find a hidden Cardassian treasure on Bajor. Kira reports that two smugglers certainly seem to believe the story. O'Brien hands Cisco the wall panel he found with writing on it. Kira confirms it's not Bajoran writing. None of them know what the glyph-style writing is saying. Cisco makes it very clear they need to get to the bottom of this fast. Cisco quotes an old Earth detective axiom that says, follow the money. Who gains most financially with what is going on? Without hesitation, Odo says Quark. Cisco agrees. He tells Odo to lean on Quark hard if that's what it takes to get to the bottom of this. Odo and Kira arrive at Quark's and very publicly states they need to speak to Quark. Odo asks nicely what Quark knows about the treasure hunt. Quark says he knows nothing of it. Between sexy poses, Kira grabs Quark and roughs him up a bit. Quark says he knows nothing. They double-team him, insinuating Quark's is past safety capacity and will only have to be closed several weeks while safety improvements are made. Quark breaks down and gives them a data device with the details of the station being a treasure map story that has been going around. He says he is not the source of that story. Satisfied, Kira and Odo leave with the new information. Later, Garrick and Dr. Bashir are having lunch at Quark's. Garak is commenting on how busy it is, and Bashir comes out and asks what the former Cardassian spy knows about it. Garak says he does not know anything more than the doctor knows, but he will make inquiries. Odo and Kira are in Sisko's office, briefing him on the treasure hunt story on the data storage device. A Cardassian official named Porven embezzled a fortune in precious metals and gems during the occupation which he hid on Bajor. Supposedly, he hid clues to the buried treasure's location in glyphs hidden on panels spread across the station for his sons to find. He died in a shuttle accident, and later so did his sons. It's all still there for the taking. Sisko says it sounds ridiculous, but asks if it could be true. Kira confirms there was an administrator named Porvet, And, of course, the Cardassians plundered all the riches they could during the occupation. O'Brien says he can't read the glyphs he found, but says something like them were sometimes used to communicate construction or manufacturing information. Kira concludes it sounds like a scam that used just enough real information to be believable. But desperate people who want to believe in buried treasure will believe it. A scam created by Quark, perhaps? Judzia adds, or Dukat. 
Cisco asks, what is the next step since this is likely a scam? Kira says to get the word out immediately that this is a hoax and spread that info as far and wide as they can. Cisco will make an announcement on the promenade and inform the Bajoran Board of Commerce. The announcement does not go well and triggers a riot that must be stopped with phasers set on heavy stun. As Cisco feared, communicating there is no treasure did not work. He says he is going to have to shut down the station, no matter what the Bajoran Board of Commerce has to say about it. They say shutting down the station is a short-term measure, but the genie is out of the bottle. People will continue to come and believe in the get-rich-quick scheme. Cisco orders Kira to not allow any new arrivals to dock unless they are Starfleet or Bajoran priority. All existing dock ships, not Starfleet or Bajoran priority, will have their docking privileges rescinded and the crews kicked off the station. Suddenly, Bashir and Garrick walk up to Sisko and Jadzia. Garrick asks Sisko to let him help find his treasure. To be continued. I love Garrick. I love Garrick, too. What a great character. What a loose card to throw into anything. Right. He may know a ton of stuff, but will he tell you? You never quite know. Right. And if he does tell you, is it going to be true? Exactly. You don't know. Love it. Yeah, I think that actor did a fantastic job of bringing that character to life. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and and I love Goldicott, too, because he also was always very conniving, and you wanted to like him, but then he always did something horrible that you were like, I I can't like you, you just killed your daughter. But uh, (laughs) then there was other ones where you're like, oh, he really does care. He's just, you know, kind of put in a bad situation. He's just a little soft. Where Garrick, on the other hand, he never really did anything all that bad, and in fact, it always seemed like he was kind of the opposite of Quark, that he always ended up kind of on top, but he always seemed like he was doing it for the right reasons. Right. Where a quark is always trying to do things for the wrong reasons. You know, sometimes it turns out right for everybody else, but it never turns out right for him. <laughs> like, it was like those two characters were always like the polar opposite. Right. Um, and I loved it. I loved. That's why Deep Space Nine is probably probably my favorite of the Star Treks. Yeah, I, I like it quite a bit too. I would clearly not say it's my favorite, but it's it's a really good one. Uh, but the Garak character is one of my all-time favorite characters from Star Trek. Right. You know, when you think about it, it's like, okay, it was the Kardashian station. They built it. And through a series of events, they lost it. And they had to hit the road. And they've got their station occupied by the Bajorans and Starfleet. So you'd think, of course they would want to have a spy on board. And Garrick is a Cardassian. And not only that, he's a former member of the Obsidian Order. It's like... But we don't know that at the who, beginning. Okay, okay fine. But, <laughs> but they find out later. Right. But who would be more natural to be a Cardassian spy <laughs> than Garak? And if you were a spy for the Cardassians, wouldn't you try to do exactly what Garak is doing? At first, playing the harmless tailor. And then, as time goes on, and you can't maintain that facade anymore, uh, you start doing things that, that help people out to give you the idea that, oh, he's really kind of on uh, the Federation side. 
But what in the end, if he really was, you know, a Cardassian spy? That's maybe I'm kind of putting some of the kind of stuff we're seeing where, oh, my God, Captain America actually all the time was a, uh, you know, a Hydra agent. Mm. But, you know, that's that's the thing about Garrick. I think you never knew. I thought that made him very interesting. Absolutely. Great character. He's one of those great characters that you always want to see more of, but it's good that they don't play they don't play right. him too much because right. then it would it might might have gotten old. Yep. Um, but yeah, no, good writing, good characterization. Yep. And here he's spot on the way he he interacts with Bashir and and almost plays Bashir. You know, you know he basically talks Bashir into giving him all the information, which which probably shouldn't have. Well, well, okay, but Bashir didn't have much to give him. Right. And, and odds are, Garrick knew about it. Well, at least he acted like he knew about it. And right. he acted like he knew more. Right. But you never know with Garrick. You never know. <laughs> Great character. So, on another subject, as far as, like, uh, art, art-wise art goes, um, here I thought that uh, there was a few spots where the characters really didn't quite look like they were supposed to. Um, and mainly being Odo kind of uh, in the middle of the book when he's giving uh, Cisco that data chip or something like that. Right. It's kind of about halfway, a little bit further than halfway. He doesn't look like Odo at all. He, to me, he looked like the Emperor did at the uh, in Episode 3, Star Wars Episode 3, after he got zapped. And his hair is kind of all pulled back and he has kind of the, the wrinkly forehead. Right. Um, this does not look like Odo at all to me. Yeah, I mean his hair. His hair almost is the same shade as his skin. It's very strange. Almost looks like a Talosian almost. Yeah, with, with a big bulbous head instead of it being hair. Right. Not the best artistry. Yeah, but this again is still, still Giovanni. Right. Or Fabio, rather. Right. Mm. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it. Just that that particular scene, it didn't quite look like Odo. Where, right. Where the rest, I thought, really did. Yeah, so he's got to see the RX guy. Yeah, always happy to see Although him. Although that's that's obviously not Eric, or he'd be incredibly old if it was. How long? How, how old do these guys get? You don't. Know. I don't know. I don't know for sure. But this guy's no RX would be, you know, in this kind of role. Would he? No, no. Maybe he's working with Starfleet Intelligence. Oh, oh, maybe talking about. Uh, characters that are not what they seem to be perhaps but yeah it's cool seeing him yeah it's nice seeing him yeah. really gets me to wondering who who his tailor is because this suit ah. this guy's wearing <laughs> <laughs> you have to put that extra armhole in the chest exactly so uh yeah they have, so maybe he goes to garrick <laughs> i have a uh, custom order for you there you go <laughs> very custom and the trousers and shirt. That's all. So is his third hand always a right hand? I don't know. That's a good question. But definitely it is in this. It is, except so it for one one page that shows that it, it looks like it's a left hand. Uh, when he's giving them the disc and taking the money, yeah. it looks like it's a left hand. But a couple of pages earlier, it was a right hand. Mm. When, he's, mm. when, he's, when he's picking up the money... The goal, the the gems, or okay. dropping the gems, uh, it looks like it's a right hand. Yes. And then two pages later, it looks like it's a left hand oh, when he's giving them the disc. Hmm. 
See what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Okay, I see that. Come on, guys. Consistency. Or is he just messing with us? Maybe. Are the, are, is the artist just breath, messing with us? Seeing if they're just paying attention. Exactly. Right. You are. I did. That's why. That's why they. That's why you pay me. I do. Yeah, so that I would find little stuff like this. <laughs> well, in those he, later in those later pages, he's he's definitely left-handed. Right. And in those earlier pages, he's definitely right-handed in the middle. Huh. See. Huh. Good point. Good catch. Switches. Well, ask Brian. He's the big RX expert. Oh, is he? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, what else you got? Um, other than saying that Kira's butt cheeks are awesome in the issue, <laughs> not not much. Not much. Uh, Seems I, to be I, a common thread in these three issues. I know. Uh, what can I say? Okay. Well. Okay. So, Chris, last thing I have to say is Cisco has quite a problem on hand, right? So, how do you how do you overcome with logic? A popular BS, popular BS story that appeals to people on such an emotional level. Most of the treasure hunt, yeah. So most of these guys are probably not rich people, and so their only way out of their financial troubles is this incredibly appealing story. Despite the fact that there's no evidence behind the the treasure actually existing, it's like how do you how do you go against something? with logic that appeals to people on such an emotional level. Yeah. No, it, it really reminds me of, you know, what what if the big, you know, gold gold rush or whatever that we had here in the United States way back when, what if it was really what if that was just a a misunderstanding or <laughs> or whatever everybody <laughs> right, right, right. moved across the the world to get to yeah. these gold mines and then come to find out it, it wasn't really gold. Right. Or, you know, I, I would say, like, you know, El Diablo, or not El Diablo, um, El Dorado, you know, but I don't know how many people up, uprooted their whole lives looking for the city of gold or whatever. I know that some people did, but yeah. it wouldn't be like this. Yeah. But, but yeah, no, there's no way. You can't combat uh, rumor, and you can't combat, you know, you know, an easy, an easy meal ticket kind of thing. Exactly. Yep. Oh, well. So I guess we'll find out in the next issue, won't we? I mean, right. maybe maybe the way to actually deal with this is to actually find the treasure. But if there See, is one, there it is. We <laughs> found it. Or what if you actually just said that? Hey, we found the treasure. Isn't that amazing? It'll go in to the widows and orphans thing on Bajor. Thanks for playing our game, everybody. Bye. Yeah. Thanks for. I guess it really was there. I guess you were right. <laughs> uh, we've got it, and you don't. But yeah. Right. Anyway. One thing I thought was weird is, um, so the treasure map is hidden throughout the station. Supposedly. But the treasure itself is on Bajor. Mm-hmm. So I thought that, I thought that was a mighty, uh, you know, elaborate plan. I mean, it's like, well, you know, like a national think... treasure type, type plot where you're like, you got to go through the whole station, well, find all the pieces of the map. Yeah, but isn't that a great story? I mean, because you can't prove anything. I mean, if they said that the treasure was on the station, then, okay, there's only so much space in the station. Right. It's, it's something that could be searched. It's, it's conceivable you could search. But if you say it's the map, and then the treasure's really on Bajor, well, it, 
You got the whole planet yeah. in which to hide that. Right, so, but but you I know think, how I think Star Trek sensors you. are. Well, you it depends on the the story, but wh- why could you not just run a sensor sweep of the planet and find? Oh well, here's a big um, you know, here's I, a big good big point. thing of gold or gems right. or whatever it's supposed to be. Um, you know, if you if you can find one one human life signal amongst all the Bajorans, why couldn't you do the same thing? You know, that, that's just well. And life signals, they kind of give off alpha waves and things. Inanimate yeah. objects don't give off anything, but yeah, good point. Well, um, I mean, the whole Deep Space Nine was a mining station, and they were beaming over the ore and stuff from yeah. Bajor, so they right. had to have sensors in order to find the veins of whatever they were digging up and beaming them over, right? Uh, we don't have sensors, but somehow we find gold and oil. We're not beaming them. I don't know. You would think what? that they would have. They would have to find. They would have to find it somehow to know where to beam, or were they just randomly picking chunks of Vajor and beaming it over and hoping that it had something? Well, no, 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 no. I, I completely believe that they were finding the things underground. Uh, how they were finding them? Yeah, maybe they were using sensors and stuff. I don't know. But what I'm saying is that today we find precious metals all the time on Earth without sensors or without, you know, Star Trek sensors. Yeah, but Star Trek, don't tell me they've never scanned and Spock said, oh, there's so much of this element on the planet or whatever. No, no. no, They can do that. I, I know. Fine. Yes, I agree with that. The magical sensors can do anything. All right, that's all. It depends upon the story. So, yes, I'm sure it could find jewels and deposits of gold and whatever. Right. Yes. Meaning the treasure map's not needed in that story. Sure. But in this story it is. Okay, just just being clear. Donovan, it's a story. <laughs> the capabilities of sensors or transporters or transwarp drive is going to be what is necessary for the story. Just say that. All right. I'll agree with you. Okay. okay. Um, my last comment is I thought that in all three of these books, um, the background characters, the aliens in the background, mm-hmm. uh, really unique designs. Uh, yeah. I liked it. I mean, it really felt like an alien bar or an alien well, station. Or yeah. Just these these smugglers and other type of treasure seekers have very unique looks. I, th- I thought it was quite good. Exactly. It was almost like a cantina scene. There were plenty then, of interesting aliens. And was it uh, was it the first issue? We didn't really talk about it, but there was the whole joke with Morn where um, oh. <laughs> we don't hear Morn talking, but Bashir's like, uh, you know, it's just a throat ache. You need to uh, just not talk as much or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, you just have to give your uh, your lungs a break or your, your vocal cords. Vocal cords. Yeah. So. Should not be a problem. I love Morn. Yes. But you know, that's only... I mean, they do talk about Morn being a great joke teller. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it always that... cuts just to when he's finished. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so he talks a lot. He just happened to not see it on TV. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I love that character, Morn. And, um, and you know, just... How, how original they can get with uh, having him be a great talker and, and speaker and 
you know, but never actually hearing him. I thought that it was always, it was kind of like Cheers, where you always heard about Norm's wife, but you never actually got to see her. Right. But he was always talking about her, and sometimes she was there, but the camera would never pan over there to her or whatever. Exactly. Right, right. Yeah. It's good good stuff. All right. That it for today? That's it, man. We got the first three issues, and we'll find out what the heck Garrick's talking about in uh, the the last issue, number four, next week. See where this fool's gold takes us. Yes, exactly. Are we going to be the fools or the gold? I don't know. So next week, since we're doing only one issue, uh, uh, we're yes, going to. Yeah. So next week, we're going to start up with another, uh, another one, a next gen story, uh, simply titled "Ghosts." Ooh, scary, spooky, spooky. Yeah, it's one I have not read, so I'm looking forward to. I haven't getting either. around to reading it. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, it's a it's a five parter, so we'll do the first two five. issues of that next week, and then we'll do the last three the the following week. Perfect, perfect. All right. Well, that being said, let's let everybody go and have a good week, and go watch Star Trek Beyond if it's still out by the time yeah. we release this well, issue. By the way, by the time this gets released, unfortunately, it's probably not going to be. <laughs> It'll be on Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> Which I now this is recorded at the end of July, but I'll be seeing it my second time tomorrow, and nice. I th- I still thoroughly enjoy the movie. We'll see what I think of it the second time around. See what else I pick up. But the first weekend it was open for business. Uh, it was number one. Yay! And you had just read before we started recording. That the second weekend, this weekend so far, unfortunately not doing as well. Well, it's it's uh, for Friday only. It was third place for Friday, so yeah, that's not too good. No, that's not. Too good. I hate to see that drop off like that. Hmm. Captain America, uh, Civil War, big drop off. Batman v Superman, big drop off. <clears throat> I hate that. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe that's the way movies are going to be going forward then. Well, if they don't make it on the first weekend, they're considered duds or whatever. Well, and with all the international uh, receipts and then the Blu-ray sales and and what have you, um, you know, they they make their money. It's just that, wow, Mm. you know, people don't don't want to see movies anymore. I don't know. Now, when you can watch them for free on your illegal streaming sites and stuff like that. that. That that's a big factor too, I bet. Right. It's just that movies like this, you can't get that effect in front of your TVs. Right. Um, yeah, I haven't I haven't looked, but I know that last week, you know, it was the the big IMAX movie at the IMAX theater. Star Trek Beyond was, oh. but you know, Jason Bourne came out this week, and I don't know if it's also in the IMAX format. And if so, I mean. Is Star Trek already gone from the IMAX format? And if so, that, I'm sure that hurts them. Oh, that would suck. Yeah. I mean, Star Trek's a natural for the IMAX format. It's it's big, it's glossy, wonderful special effects. Eye candy galore. Jason Bourne? I mean, it's a modern day tale. Not a lot of showy things, I wouldn't think, visually. But right. who knows, I could be wrong. Well, then Ice Age is out too, so... Oh. That one might... I don't know. What, what, what do I know? I'm not no. What do I know? Do I look like Fan? Do I look like Fandango that just knows all the movies? <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> okay. Anyway, we're talking about something that's going to be like six months old by the time this gets released. I know, <laughs> but I, I'm just my main point is I'm just sorry it's not still, you know, a, a bit of a a bit more of a juggernaut. But you know, in the end, I'm sure it'll be one of the higher grossing films. Uh, I just, I just, I want more movies. I want them to keep making movies. Right. Yeah, Star me Trek. too. Absolutely. Well, I want them to make all kinds of movies. But well, yeah, definitely Star Trek. But definitely. Star Trek. <laughs> okay. Uh, agreed. Star Trek right. movies, Star Wars movies, comic book movies, as long as they're all good quality, I want more. Yeah, we don't want any more Howard the Ducks, right? Howard the Duck. Yeah, I never saw that. Or, or did I? It was so long ago, I forgot. It did not impress me much. No, it's not that bad. It wasn't that bad? Okay, good. Well, I mean, for for the little kid that that watched it when... You? When I, yeah. <laughs> I, I watch it now, and I still have that nostalgia from when I was a kid, but oh. I'm sure it's not a great movie. <laughs> As what I remember of it, it wasn't. Okay, thanks for joining us, everybody. On the, On review. the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at star t comic book review at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.